Father, we just love you this morning. And God, I pray that you just hear the cries of our heart this morning as we just sing, all hail King Jesus. We sing you're worthy, worthy of our praise, Lord, and we just thank you for your presence that's here with us this morning. God, I pray that as we continue in our worship, as we hear your word, God, that you speak to our hearts. God, continue to change us, continue to do what you need to do in us, Lord. God, we love you. We just ask all these things in Jesus' name. Well, thank you guys for all the love you showed to us the last week or so. Uh, also, my dad, and uh, we felt your love. Thank you for all the cards, letters, text messages that you shared with us and all the visits. We appreciate everybody that was able to attend his service and just let us know you love us and care for us. And it means more than, than you may know how much that means, but it means a lot when a family's going through hard times like that. So this is the message that I had planned to preach two weeks ago. And of course, those events <laughs> took over. So uh, this is not a New Year's resolution sermon. This is a decade resolution sermon. So here we are. This is January the 12th, 2020, 2020. Here we go. Now, what will you be like on January the 12th, 2030, 10 years from now. Now, you probably immediately think, well, that's a long way in the future. I'm not going to know what I'm going to be like. But if you'll really look back to when we began 2010, those 10 years passed by pretty quickly. And so here we are facing a new decade and I don't have any reason to believe that these 10 years are going to be slower than the previous 10 years. It looks like we've got just a little bit less than 3,650 3, days before we face another decade. Now, now we, we tend to think that we think that pro, uh, prognosticators are going to think in the future and they're going to say, this is what life is going to be like for you, right? And we think that somehow or another, that's a spiritual value. Well, it's really not a spiritual value. There's Jacob Ellerbush right there. Jacob, how old are you right now? 15. 15. In 10 years, you'll be... 25. You've been going to school for math. Very good. <laughs> Got it going. You'll be 25 years old. In 20, let, me, let me just tell you what life's going to be like for you in, in 10 years. Ready? All right, I'm going to tell you, I, I see it. I see it right now. You're going to be a college graduate. How about that? That sounds nice. You're going to be a... By, you just have graduated. It's going to take you six years to get through. But you will just have graduated from college. And there's going to be... You're going to be married. Let me see if I can see her. Oh, oh, wait, no. I, and, and you're going to be expecting a child. Pretty cool. I did say you're getting married, didn't I? Where's mom over there? Getting, you'll be married for a while. There you go. So that's, that's me telling what your future is going to be like. Well, that's not a spiritual thing. 
Now, I know there's people out there that believe that's a spiritual thing, but let me tell you what is a spiritual thing. Is not what you're going to be doing 10 years from now, but the way that you will be 10 years from now is a spiritual thing. This is how I will be. I will be this. I will be that. And what we need to do is take those spiritual values that we have and, and those things we know for sure the Lord wants us to be and take the steps that are necessary for us to be what we know God would want us to be in 10 years. For, for example, I know that in 10 years, God wants me to love him. He wants me to grow in love for him. I know that in 10 years, God wants me to grow in love for people because we know that it is God's will that we love God with all the heart, soul, strength, and mind and love our neighbor as ourself. So I know that's God's will for me. So in 10 years, I will be 70 years old. I, I will be prettier. I think I'm getting prettier as time goes by. And so I'll have that going for me, but I'll be 70 years old. And I hope that when I'm 70 years old, my goal, my ambition, my desire, you know, what I, I want to see happen is when I'm 70 years old, I love God more when I'm 70 than I have at any other time in my life. And I, I pray that I'm loving people more than I have at any other time in my life. I, I hope that when I'm 70 years old, I'm passionate about ministry. I'm passionate about God's word. I'm passionate about doing God's assignment for me. Whatever that may be, wherever that is, whatever shape that takes, whatever form that's in, that's my goal. That, that 10 years from now, uh, I'm still believing. I'm still trusting. I'm still moving forward. I'm, I'm still available to be used by God. That's what I want to see happen. So just for a couple seconds, just, I know you've processed some of that. You've thought about that. How do you want to be 10 years from now? What do you want to be? What do you believe God wants you to be 10 years from now? Well, I know he wants you to be faithful. You could add that. He wants you to be loving. I can add that. The same things he wants for me, he wants for you. You can add those things. You can borrow those things if you so desire. But, but in 10 years, what do you want your life to be like? What do you want your life to be like? Consider those things for just a few minutes. What do you want your life to be like? Now, the question that we're going to address is today, how do we get there? How do we get there? All right. A survey was taken of 40,000 people, and, and they were surveyed between the age of 8 and 80. So a big range of people were surveyed. The questions that were on this survey had to do with some spiritual realities. They had to do with questions like, how many times do you read the Bible a week? And other questions were asked to try to, to, to discern from this survey the impact that reading the Bible had on people's lives. And, and the results of this survey, as they pulled all these questions to get together and got all this information together, here's what this survey revealed to the survey makers. If you read Scripture one time a week, there is zero impact in your life. So much for going to church. 
so much for going to church. So if, if today is the only day that you get where you have some spiritual interaction with the Word, then there is zero impact in your life. That's what the survey said. The survey showed that if you read the Bible, if you study the Bible, if you meditate on the Bible two times a week, there is zero impact in your life. If you're angry, you stay angry. If you're depressed, you stay depressed. If you're discouraged, you stay discouraged. If you have a real bout of hopelessness, you stay hopeless. Just it, it, That's in reading the Bible twice a week. So you can go to church on Sunday morning, and you can go to a Bible study on Monday night, and there's no impact in your life, by, according to the statistics, in most people that were surveyed of the 40,000 people. Now, those people that were in the Word, that studied the Word, that read the Word for life change, that were looking at it three times a week, there was a blimp of change in life, a minimal change in their life, just a small change in their life, and, and not enough data to really record any significant thing that happens when you're exposed to the Scripture three times a week. I did get a kick out of that, that, that oftentimes said, if you'll go to church on Sunday morning, if you'll go to church on Sunday night, if you'll study the scripture on Wednesday night, you'll be where you need to be. The answer is not necessarily. The stats show, the, the report show, the evidence is that may not be true. That may not be true. On those people that were in the word for times a week, there was a dynamite explosion. Really interesting. Now, I don't know what the scientific words are, but you know, earthquake scales, they walk along, they're kind of like this, one, two, three, four, and somewhere along in there, a, a number five earthquake is a lot greater than a four. And a number five earthquake is a lot more greater than a four, and a lot more greater than a four is to a three. And it just starts doing this. And, and that's what happens when people are in the Word four times a week. They found that people that are in the Word four times a week, a huge jump in impact in their lives. They reported a 30% drop in loneliness when you're in the Word four times a week. There is a drop in 40% of the people with anger and resentment issues. There you go. That's pretty significant. Alcoholism, among the 40,000 people that were surveyed, problems with alcohol dropped 57% of people that were in the Word four times a week. Of people that were in the Word four times a week, Things like spiritual stagnation, apathy, spiritual lukewarmness dropped 60%. That's an amazing thing. That's a, that's a tremendous cause or correlation that had when people are in the Word. Now, if, if, if you're lonely, how many times are you in the Scripture? 
You say, it doesn't matter what I do, Lee. I go to church, I listen to you preach, and my life doesn't change. Ha-ha. You can't blame me as much now because we got some new information. How much are you in the Word? Well, I come to church on Sunday. Not enough. You're not growing in Christ. You're not growing in knowledge of God. You're not growing in your relationship with Him. You're not growing in reliance. You're not growing in understanding who He is with just going to church on Sunday. You got to be in His Word. That's interesting, isn't it, that... that a spiritual apathy, and I don't care, I don't give a rip, attitude dropped 60%. That six out of 10 people said that I read the scripture four times a, a week, and, and this is, there's a spiritual aliveness in those people that were in the Word four times a week. Now, think about this pornography dropped 61% of those in the Word four times a week. So there's a connection between uh, being in the Word versus being in the flesh. You're in the flesh less if you're in the Word more. It's not rocket science, is it? Now, think about these two numbers. These numbers to me are, are, are quite significant because I think they paint a picture of a deeper issue here. Sharing faith with other people jumped 200%. That's significant. Now, you can be kind of pessimistic to say a lot of lonely people are sharing their faith. Yep, you, that's true. A lot of people who are angry and resentful are sharing their faith. Yep, a lot of alcoholics are sharing their faith. Absolutely. Those numbers have got to be there for that to work out, I reckon. But the positive thing is people that are in the Word four times a week are greatly more likely to be people that share their faith on a regular basis. And those who are regularly, regularly discipling other people, that number jumped 220%. That's pretty substantial. So for me, if I'm the, I'm the study case... I want to be more faithful in 20 years. I want to be more loving in 20 years. I want to be more passionate in 20 years. I want to be useful in 20 years. I, I want to have an impact. I want to be significant for God in 10 years. What do I got to do? This survey says to me, I've got to at least be in the Word four times a week. That's what I've got to do. At least four times a week, I've got to be in God's Word. Now, the survey didn't say what I wanted to know. What about the old boy that's in the Word five times a week? I wanted to know that. There was nothing like that. There was such a significant change in the four times a week that it just kind of stopped right there. And so here's the deal. If you're struggling with any issues, with any problems, with any, you know, anything going on in your life, the very first thing that needs to be established in your life is that you're in the Word at least four times a week. Now, that's more important than anything for your life. That's more important than exercising. Paul says it's good that you exercise. It's good, you've been, it's, but spiritual development is even more better. Now, 
four times a week. You may be hearing that going, how in the world can I study the Word four times a week? Can I can I do it? Well, maybe you got to quit something. Maybe you don't watch the news on the morning. Maybe you don't jog in the mornings. Maybe you do this differently. Maybe you do that differently. Maybe you don't sit around and feel sorry for yourself for 10 minutes. You know, you got to do whatever's required to get in the Word at least four times a week. Be at church on Sundays. That's one time a week you can count. Be involved in a home group. That's another time. Be involved in a weekly Bible study. That's another time. But get two more in there somehow or another for life change, for be faithful, to be more loving, to be more like Christ wants you to be. If you're going to make that and be able to claim that in 2030, you are closer to God than you were in 2020, you got to get in the Word. There's no other way. There's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. To give you an example of the importance of being in the Word, look in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, how being in the Word could help you. Now, I've encouraged all the, the men's grow groups that I'm part of to do this. I've encouraged them to read the book of Philippians every day in the month of January, okay? So if those guys that have followed through with that and have been doing that, they're on day 12 now. Now, when you do that, there's only four chapters. You can do that very easily. It takes 10 or 15 minutes every single day. And you could start today and you just carry over another 30 days to February the 12th. It doesn't matter what days of the week. It matters that you're in the Word, okay? And that was the goal. Let's get in the Word and let's talk about what it means that it's speaking to us. The book of Philippians is about joy. The Philippians is about having life in Christ, about who Christ is, and has some wonderful information for us. But in Philippians chapter 3, as I've gone through the last couple of weeks, and I've been reading the book of Philippians every day and in the hospital and different places and thinking about, you know, life, thinking about death, thinking about what really matters in life, this really spoke to me. And there's just three simple principles here that are required if we're going to be faithful in 10 years. Philippians chapter 3, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, Rejoice in the Lord. I got to be a rejoicer. If I'm going to make it, if I'm going to be faithful in 10 years, if I'm not going to quit, quit, if I'm not going to get fed up, if I'm not going to get discouraged with, 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 with God's people, what they do or don't do, if I'm going to hang in there, if I'm going to be true to the Lord, if I'm going to be a worshiper, if I'm going to be a servant in 10 years, I must continue to learn that regardless of what happens, I am going to rejoice. Philip said it right this morning. It ain't about how you feel. It's not, do you feel like rejoicing? The truth is today, I don't feel like rejoicing. On a scale of 110, I might be a five. Actually, that's probably a little stretch in it, trying to put on a good face. I'm probably about a two and a half today. And a two and a half is basically my heart's working, my lungs are working. But, you know, I, it's been a tough couple of weeks for us. It's going to get better. It's going to be fine. But it doesn't matter how you feel. The, the command is whatever happens, losing your dad, losing your job, being disappointed, being discouraged, this problem, this problem, whatever the situation, whatever happens, the Word of God says, rejoice. Choose to rejoice. 
regardless of what your situation is. And, and Paul tells us why that's so cotton-picking important. He says, I never get tired of telling you these things. So he says, boy, this is so important that I never wear out. And so that is an indication to me that Paul told people over and over and over, whatever happens, rejoice in your life. Be a rejoicer. Your first step is to rejoice. When things turn upside down, when things are a problem, when things don't work out, when, when uh, difficulties come your way, your first decision is, I will rejoice no matter what. I think Paul went around telling the brothers and sisters of the Lord who were going through real difficult times, be a rejoicer. Rejoice that God is God. Rejoice that Christ is Christ. Rejoice that he is Savior. Rejoice in your salvation. Rejoice in the joy of your salvation. Take all inventory of all that you have, all that God has done for you, and rejoice. And he tells, you, tells us why. He says, I do it to safeguard your faith. So if I'm going to be faithful in 10 years, I've got to safeguard faith. So the enemy to our faith is failure to rejoice. If we're not rejoicing, what are we doing? We're complaining. What does complaining lead to? unfaithfulness. We're not faithful to God any longer. may not happen right away. It happens in a, a slow, gradual decline. But something happens and we choose not to rejoice. Instead, we complain, God, why did you let this happen? God, why didn't you take care of me? God, why didn't you love me here? And we start complaining. And we start complaining, and that begins to wear out that active, everyday faith. That's what Paul says happened. He said, I'm telling you, folks, you need to rejoice because it safeguards your faith. Now, think about the complaining that you have done in your life. Does that draw you closer to God? No. Think about the rejoicing you've done in your life. Does that draw you closer to God? Absolutely it does. So, if we're going to be faithful in 10 years, no matter what, if we're going to be passionate for God, no matter what, if we're going to be impactful in our world, in our neighborhood, in our church, in our family. Now think about how your family is going to grow in 10 years. Think about what's going to happen in 10 years around you. Think about all the people God's going to bring into your life in a 10-year period of time. You really need to be a rejoicer. You need to learn to rejoice. You need to start rejoicing now. It says whatever happens, rejoice. You can't look at all the bad things that are happening and let that control whether or not you rejoice or not. Nope, you've got to rejoice now. It protects your faith. It guards your faith. And then he says the second thing, and I really think in these verses we're going through, these are some real uh, prime important matters. He says in verse 2, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. 
We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. And so what Paul is saying here is resist religion. Don't fall back to religion. Religion, man's way to be right with God. He says we don't trust in man's way to be right with God. Here there's, watch out for those people who do evil. Watch out for those mutilators of the flesh because they're saying to us that faith is not enough. You also must be circumcised. Now, we can put something else in place of being circumcised. Faith is not enough. You also must be baptized. Faith is not enough. You also must be moral. Faith is not enough. You must also look this way. Faith is not enough. You also must have this many children. You must, must have this kind of life or this kind of situation. Your behavior has got to measure up to this standard, whatever that standard might be. And works is the heart of religion. Doesn't matter what kind of religion it is. Here's what you need to do to be right with God. And Paul says, resist that. It's going to be all around us. He says, only rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort. If anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Paul says, I was the cat. I was the top of the list. I was the top of the class. There's no one ever been more religious than me, is what Paul says. He says in verse 5, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteous, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, he says in verse 8, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul says rules without relationship are no good. That's what he's saying. Traditions without relationship are worthless. Heritage without relationship is garbage. A lot of garbage going on in there in our world. There's a lot of religion going on in our world. Religion for some crazy thing in people's emotional makeup, religion somehow or another pacifies people. I am a Baptist. I am a Methodist. I am a Catholic. I do these things. I go to church. I read the rosary. I say the prayers. I sing the songs. I give the tithe. I do this. I do that. How do you know that you're going to go to heaven when you die? Because I have done all these things, and I continue to do all these things. I'm a good person. I'm moral. And, and here we have the Lord clearly saying, we do not rely upon human achievement but we rely on Jesus Christ. And so the emptiness is in this religion. And Paul says to religious people, 
people that have a, have a bent to be religious, he says to them, you've got to understand that there's no one more religious than me. There's no one with the credentials like I have. And, and I used to value this so much, but I have learned that compared to the infinite knowledge of knowing Jesus, religion is garbage. It's garbage. And we've got to fight that. We've got to fight the garbage of religion. Religion, man's way to be right with God. Our relationship is based on what Christ has done, not based on what we have done. That ought to set us free. That's where the joy of no condemnation comes from. That's where the joy of knowing that by faith we are saved through faith and not of ourselves. The joy of the gift of salvation. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any should boast. And we are free. We are children of God, not through what we have done, but through what he has done. And we are just the recipients of the grace and the faith and the joy. And we operate from that position. That's how we remain faithful. That's how we remain steady. That's how we hang in there for 10 years. That's how we're able to rejoice no matter what. Because you can't take things away from someone that's already given it away. <clears throat> that's where we need to be. So we rejoice no matter what. We resist religion. And then he says in 12 and 13 to 14, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. That's good news for us. We might just read 1 through 11 and go, oh, I don't know, man. Paul seemed to be pretty perfect. I don't know if I can live up to the standard that Paul's laying down here. And Paul says, I hadn't lived up to it completely yet. I haven't achieved perfection. I haven't achieved a place of life where I can say, I got it all down. I got it all done. Don't worry about me. Man, me and God are close, closer than you've ever seen. And I'm here to tell you, man, that, that I've arrived. Paul's not saying I've arrived. Paul's saying I'm reaching for it. There really is a difference. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, he says, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. That's a gem. That's a nugget. That's a piece of gold right there. If we're going to be faithful in 10 years, if we're going to be more loving in 10 years, if we are going to be a closer fellowship in 10 years, if, if we are going to be tremendous image bearers of the grace and the mercy and the love of Almighty God, we must learn the principle of forgetting the past and looking forward to the future. That means we're hope people. That means we're faith people. That means we're possibility people. That means that when most of the tribe is saying, oh no, how in the world are we going to be able to make it? In your heart, it leaps and says, because God is on his throne, Jesus is at his right hand, and if God is for us, who can be against us? Let's push forward. 
Let's move forward. Let's experience the best that God has for us. Let's not rely on ourselves. Let's not be defeated with, with complaining and arguing and bitterness and resentment. Let us learn to rejoice in all things. No matter what happens, we're going to rejoice. We are going to rely upon Christ and what only Christ has done for us. And we are not going to let the past get the best of us. We are going to forget the past and move forward. We need to do that with relationships. We need to do that with circumstances. We need to do that with every aspect of our life. Now, it's not holy perfection that Paul's calling for. It's holy direction. Are you perfect yet, Paul? No, I ain't perfect yet. Listen to me. What are you boys doing? That's what he'd say. Listen to me. I'm not perfect. I'm just headed in the right direction. I'm not perfect. I don't have it all down. I'm just headed in the right direction. Not holy perfection, but holy direction. I have failed. I have made mistakes. I have given up hope. I have lost heart. In the last 10 years, I've had some down times. In the last 10 years, I've had some losing seasons. In the last 10 years, I haven't responded to every circumstances in a way that glorifies God, but I'm still headed in the right direction. That's what Paul would say. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to lose hope. I'm not going to say I just can't do it. No way. I'm going to forget the past and I'm going to hold on to what's in the future. That's the only way we are to live. If we hold on to the past, it will defeat us, it will destroy us, it will reach up, and it will suffocate us. We have got to turn loose of the past, we have got to forget about the past, learn the lessons of it, but don't let it be the monkey man on you. You ever heard... Uh, the song, The Monkey Man, uh, Tweeter and the Monkey Man. Y'all haven't lived till you listen to Tweeter and the Monkey Man. The Traveling Wilburys. No, am I the only, am I the only uh, hippie still around here? Listen to the Monkey Man and Tweeter. Listen to the words. Don't be a monkey man. Don't let the monkey man get to you. You know what a monkey man is? It, the monkey jumps on your back and you can't make it. Don't let the monkey man get you. Listen to the song today. Traveling Wilburys. <laughs> Tweeter and the monkey man. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying George Harrison and Tom Petty and those boys didn't write this. God wrote this through Paul. And he's saying... Don't let the monkey man get you. Forget the past and move forward to what lies ahead. He says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. I understand that when you're picking cotton all day long, I remember my dad teaching me these lessons. He took me out in a cotton, thought a lot about this, during the last week or two, he, he took me out in the field because I had been asking lots of questions about picking cotton and how it works now. And he said, I'll show you. So we went in Uncle Bud's barn and the cotton was ready to be picked. And they were actually harvested in different areas and they hadn't quite got this field across the street from the barn. 
and we go in there and we find some old, uh, big long sacks. You put them over your your uh, your shoulder here, and you start, you know, in the end row and start going. Man, those thorns get you. Oh, your fingers are all just the uh, a cotton picker's fingertips are just strong. Man, they're tough. They're like leather because those cotton bowls would get you in the and the, the sharp edges of those uh, leaves as they dried up. And you go through there, and you're putting cotton in the sack, and you're pulling that sack down the deal. And he said, son, you need to keep your eye on the prize down there. That's not what he said. He said, keep your eye at the end row. you got to keep focused on the end row, or you'll never make it. I remember that clear as a day. He said, because it's so hot, it, 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 you have so much to pick, it doesn't seem like you're ever going to be able to get it done. And he says, when you're pulling that sack down the deal, you, you got to see the ending point. He said, so we always learn to look up and see the end of the row. Now, I think that's what Paul is saying here. In the battle in 2021, in the battle of 2022, in 2022, many of us are going to have battles that we didn't seem possible. In 2023, many of us are going to struggle. In 2024, many of us are going to have real issues in our lives. It's going to be painful. It's going to be difficult. It may be with our kids. It may be with our work. It may be with our families. But we're going to have real problems. That's one thing I know for sure, that if we were to able to take inventory in 2010 and talk, and talk about how things were and then be able to re-inventory in 2020, I'm here to tell you this congregation either here or gone, has experienced much turmoil and problems and difficulties. I mean, it's, the, the, it's illness, it's death, it's loss of money, it's loss of jobs, it's broken relationships, it's problems. We've all gone through it. And, and if you just focus on how things are today and lose sight of the inroad, you might give up. And that's what Paul says here. Man, I don't let the past get to me. I look at the end of the row. I reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize. And so the heavenly prize is this for us. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what's thrown at us. It doesn't matter what hurdles we face. It doesn't matter what pain we go through. It doesn't matter how severe the suffering is. In 2030... I am going to stand before God and I'm going to know that I rejoiced, that I resisted religion, I relied upon Christ, and man, I pressed forward. And if that's so, then the goal is reached. So not holy perfection, but holy direction. Are you headed the right way? Are you ready to go? Regardless of what happens, will... Others say, what a testimony of belief and trust in Jesus. What a testimony. Who's with us in your heart? Who says, I'll stand, I'll worship, I'll live for the Lord. I take the 10-year, the decade challenge. I'm ready to go. Who's with us? Amen. 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 Between you and the Lord. The commitment is made. Today starts the new day of the new decade.
11 days in, you had a little grace point. Finish faithful. Finish hopeful. Finish with love in your heart. Finish strong, even if you're broken, weathered, tattered, and wore out. Finish strong. In 70 years, come back and see me if we've lost each other. If I'm somewhere else or you're somewhere else. Let's get together and say, you still moving forward, Lee? And I want to be able to tell you, absolutely. Had some real struggles the last 10 years. Hadn't been all good, but I've been faithful. And that's what we want to be able to say in 10 years. Amen? Amen. 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 Ushers, come forward for our offering.